Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. Uh, we want to be saved. We need to say something. We can't say we, uh, the, the, the phrase that I'm kind of getting tired of hearing from other people is, 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 is uh, save it for somebody else who needs it more. We as a people get too proud sometimes. And we would be the ones that need help. And if we need that help, we need to be able to say, Hosanna, save now. Save, we beg. I got sickness in my body. Save now, we beg. My parents ain't getting along. Save now, we beg. My children have not come home in several nights. Save now, we beg. I am battling with addiction. Save now, we beg. I need money to pay my bills. Save now, we beg. Father God, we love you, we honor you, we praise your holy name. We thank you for this opportunity to gather once again together in your name, Lord God. Let every word that I speak, every thought that I think be acceptable in your sight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to talk a little bit today about March Madness. March Madness. There's always some buzz around March Madness. Uh, Everybody loves to watch the NCAA Basketball National Championship. Both the men and women's basketball gets a lot of run, a lot of of airtime and popular attention. It'll be a sermon for another Sunday about whether or not I feel a college athlete should get paid. But I just want to talk about that. The, the people claim to like watching college sports over professionals because they feel like it's pure and, and the athletes are paying, playing for, for the, the love of the game, even though they're generating billions of dollars for other people. But again, that's a sermon for another Sunday. Uh, uh, but... March Madness is, is an exciting time, and I, I, I recall uh, there was a march uh, in, in 1983. Some, some serious buzz was going around. Uh, there was a, uh, exactly 35 years ago, uh, the NC State Wolfpack squeaked in, barely made it in, skated in, if you will, to the NCAA tournament, and they were called the Cardiac Pack. Uh, these players and their young coach start in the greatest Cinderella story in the history of college basketball. At the beginning of the month, nobody was paying much attention to the Wolfpack, but Coach Jim Valvano and his team began to march through the brackets. They beat Pepperdine and UNLV and Utah and the powerful Virginia Cavaliers, and soon fans were greeting them at the airport like they were rock stars. And at pep rallies around the NC State, they became legendary. And Valvano was a joyous entertainer in front of the crowd, but also a master motivator on the sidelines. And when they reached the title game, it looked like the end of the road. The Wolfpack uh, faced a star-studded team in Houston by, uh, with some people you may have heard of them before at U of H, uh, somebody by the name of Akeem Olajuwon. 
and, and, and Clyde Drexler, they had some sort of organization called Phi Slamma Jamma. You might have heard of them, and they ran into this team, but these players took the court and produced one of the greatest basketball games of all time, ending in a stunning final sequence where the Wolfpack's Derek Wittenberg uh, threw up a 30-foot air ball, which Lorenzo Charles slammed home for an NC State victory. And then there's video of Jim Valvano, uh, also known as Jimmy V, running around the court, sprinting, looking for somebody to hug. And, and, and that, that clip is played year after year, even after uh, Jim Valvano uh, died of cancer. Uh, ten years later, they still had the Jimmy V Foundation because of that. But everybody remembered the excitement, the exuberance, and and everybody when 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 the team was coming around, people made an entrance for them, and, and, and there was some excitement. Uh, that's going on now. Uh, there's a team that's, that's busting everybody's bracket uh, by the name of uh, Loyola Chicago. And, and, and they got a famous nun that's with them by the name of Sister Jean. And everybody's paying attention to them. But the thing is, is when people, uh, basically when people get excited about something, they want to welcome that thing in when they're excited about it. Yeah. There's, a, there's a big deal about welcoming these people in. And the gospel according to Mark uh, talks about welcoming in somebody with excitement. Yes, yes. Uh, as you read the gospel according to Mark, it, it starts off skipping over some things and, and, and days and months are, are, are going on. And then once we get towards the end, once we get to what is called the passion narrative, we start going from months on in, a week's on in, to starting to slow down to counting the days. And, and later on, it starts to track the hours. But that, that arrival starts coming in uh, chapter 11. And, and, and this arrival uh, in Mark chapter 11, I like the gospel according to Mark because it's short and to the point. Uh, it, it, it doesn't really fluff you with a lot of details. And so the gospel according to Mark's version of Jesus entering in uh, uh, to Jerusalem is, is, is less lofty than the other gospel counterparts. And that's okay. If you go to Matthew 21, 1 through 11, you see a little more. In Luke 19, 28 through 40, and John 12, uh, 12 through 19, you, you'll see different versions of how things are done. And that's okay, because if you have uh, five people telling the same story, you end up with five different stories. And, and, and that's okay. Uh, this wasn't in the sermon, but I, I, I figured I'll touch it. I remember seeing somebody argue with an archbishop about why uh, Jesus is supposed to be some religious figure, but hasn't written his own book. Uh, other religious figures wrote their own book, so to speak. And why do we have a gospel according to Mark and a gospel according to Matthew and a gospel according to Luke and a gospel according to John? And I would say that we have those because we are all supposed to experience God for ourselves. So there should be a gospel according to Johnny and a gospel according to Helen and a gospel according to Charles and a gospel according to Delaney. There should be a gospel according to each one of us so that we can tell that story. And your story may not be like my story. And my story may not be like the next person's story. But just because somebody's story is different from one another, they are experiencing it at different times and different ages and from different angles and different perspectives. And so it's okay if they differ. Uh, 
but it's less lofty. And Mark, uh, Mark speaks to me because Mark was written by John Mark, and Mark was John Mark was rolling around with somebody by the name of Peter, and Peter had a bit of a hot head. I might relate to that, but uh, it's less lofty. But the point still is there. And so the first thing that we see about this triumphal entry into Jerusalem is uh, there's an obtaining of a cult. Uh, getting this cult uh, is about the faith of the disciples and the authority of Jesus. Uh, he says, go into the village opposite you and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a cult tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? The Lord has need of it. You say the Lord has need of it and immediately they'll send it here. Uh, the faith of the disciples and the authority of Jesus. Uh, we, we might just gloss over this because this is something that was written 2,000 years ago. And it's something that we may hear this time every year over and over again. But allow me to put this into perspective. Right. I'm going to need somebody to go on 45 Write to Gay Auto, grab a brand new car, All right. <laughs> and walk off with it. And when somebody from Gay Auto says, why are you taking this? You say the Lord needs it, and they're supposed to let it go. <laughs> this took some faith on the disciples' part to walk up to a brand new car, Amen. an unwritten cult, and give it. And, and, and there was this faith. And, and there's, there's faith, and there are some times when we are asked to do some things that may sound foolish. That we may be, there are some times when we may be asked to do some things that may sound foolish, but we have to be willing to exercise our faith. If we don't believe it, nobody else is going to believe it. Time and time again, I see successful people over and over again do these things, and they do these things that are successful. They become these top-notch business people and these top-notch artists and these top-notch musicians and top-notch athletes, and not because uh, some of them do win the genetic lottery, but they have to work at it. And you don't work at it unless you believe to begin with. It's not what they call you, it's what you answer to. You have to believe that and you have to believe in yourself that you are the head and not the tail. You have to believe in yourself that you are above and shall never be beneath. You have to believe that you are a lender and not the borrower. You have to believe that you'll be blessed in your coming and in your going and in everything that you do. Because if you don't believe it, why should I? And so these disciples are hearing from Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus over and over again and watching him heal the sick and open up blinded eyes and set the captives free and declare the acceptable year of the Lord. They've been watching him do this, and this was a time for them once again to prove that everything that Jesus said he was going to do was going to happen. So they had to exercise their faith. Ah, uh, And so the, their disciples well, their faith would be strengthened. It would let them know that everything that Jesus said he was going to do, he did. Uh, every prophecy that was fulfilled, he had to be born in a certain time and be born of a virgin and be from a certain area and do all of these things. All of these things that are in the Old Testament that were prophesied to let us know that the Messiah was coming, he did it. And so their faith was strengthened. Because once again, God showed them that he was not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should see cause to repent. 
Uh, and so he told them to go get the colt. He told them where it would be, and he told them what to say in order to walk off with the colt, and they did it. And because they did it, their faith was strengthened. Ah. Uh, Something else I noticed in the text when it says, if anyone says to you, uh, why are you doing this? The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. And it says, so they went on their way and found the colt. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. They went their way. They Loosed it. Now it's been a while since I had to take an English class, but they is plural, am I right? So it was more than one. Time and time again, I hear my professor of New Testament beating it into my head over and over again. The Reverend Dr. Jamie Clark Souls, you cannot be a Christian outside of community. The disciples strengthened their faith, and the disciples went together more than one not by themselves a group not having their own personal relationship with Jesus and that's it not closing the doors of the church to outsiders if you wasn't born in one of the two or three families that helped found the church they went if we are going to do anything in this Christian journey we are going to have to do it together a two-fold cord is strong, but a three-fold cord is not easily broken. I was in my residency covenant group, one of the organizations or the things that I have to do in order to get ordained. And one of the pastors that was there was talking, uh, and he said this was one of the pastors that they bring in to investigate whenever preachers fail. When, when, when a pastor has done something that violates the covenant, when they've done something that will cause them to possibly get their credentials snatched, he comes in and he always has to investigate it. And he said time and time again, uh, uh, when he talks to him, he asks him, when you were doing X, Y, Z, who knew? And the time, the, and time and time again, the situation is, is, it comes to be that nobody knew. They was keeping it to themselves. If you don't have anybody that you are close to, to call you on your stuff, you are going to struggle as a Christian. You got to have a relationship with somebody else that walks with you in this Christian journey so that when you stumble, they'll be able to pick you up. And when they stumble, you'll be able to pick them up. You can't have all the answers by yourself. We are designed to be together in community. Ah, the Bible says when they asked Jesus, uh, teacher, which of the, uh, the laws of the prophet is the greatest? And he said uh, to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, right? And then he said that a second was like it. They asked him for the greatest commandment, but he gave them two. And the second one was to love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, the Bible says to fail not the assembly of others. I mean, I know it's nice that you don't have to get out the bed. You can click on a mouse and see some things and, and get some music and, and hear some word. And, 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 and even with another click of the mouse, even pay your tithes. Yeah. But the way this thing that we call Christianity was designed, it was designed for us to be in community with one another. So that everybody could have everything that they need. So they went their way and they found the cult. And so they were able to strengthen themselves. 
And then it's also to acknowledge Jesus' authority. Uh, Roman soldiers during this time routinely would roll out, and if they needed something or somebody, they would take it. And that was it. I need some labor. Y'all look like y'all got some strong backs. Come on over here. Y'all going to do this labor. I, I, I need, I need some, 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 uh, some occult. I, I need some transportation. I see some transportation right there. The Lord needs it. It's mine. Uh, see, this, this term that we have, Lord, is we've, 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 we've made it only Christian. But at that time, that was just a ruler. Uh, we have land lords. That's who runs the thing. And so that's why when they say that Jesus was king of kings and lord of lords, it meant that no matter what uh, authority system you had set up, he was over that. He was there from the beginning. He's the one who was and is and is to come. He is all powerful. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. So if the Roman soldier, if the government system, if the person that's been put in charge is able to take, why can't the Lord? But the difference is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do better with it than any government authority could ever do. Ah, and so the Lord needs something from you. Are you willing to give it? The Lord has need of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Are you willing to give it? Uh, and so we see that there's this authority in place in obtaining the cult and this faith is strengthened and this faith is strengthened because people are able to do it together, not by themselves. And then they, they, they approach the city with acclamation after they've uh, obtained the cult. They approach the city in acclamation and the cult, also uh, known as a donkey, uh, uh, the is a, is a call back to Zechariah 9 and 9. Again, I say that these prophecies that were set in the Old Testament are being fulfilled in the New Testament. That's why we as Christians can't cut off half the Bible. The parts you don't like in the Bible are, are, are there to fulfill some of the parts you do like. You can't just cut the, the first half of the Bible off and then use just the New Testament and live by that. Uh, as they would say in some, some, other, uh, some other schools of thought that Jesus is, is concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. So way back in Zechariah 9 and 9, it said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And, and, and there's a reason he had to come in on that. Uh, to let you know that the battle was over. It may not have looked like the battle was over, but something that you learn whenever you read in the Old Testament is that kings, when they came into some place, they rode on a donkey when it was time for peace, and they rode on a horse when it was time for war. And so Jesus came in on a donkey to let you know that this was a time for peace and that even though these people were going to do some heinous things to him and some horrible things to him, the battle had already been won. The battle had already been over. He is the prince of peace. And so he came in riding on a donkey to let you know that the battle was already won. Uh, and they laid out the coats, the coats, coats, coats for him, uh, 17, 2 Kings 9 through 13, 
talks about then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on top of the steps. And they blew trumpets saying Jehu was king. This was a time that they, whenever a king was going to be acclaimed, they laid out coats, coats and leafy branches, which is why we have these palms on Palm Sunday. till they laid it out so that they could walk on it. And not only did he walk in, he, he was walking in uh, on, on, uh, on, on these branches and everything else to let them know that Jesus, the king, had stepped foot on earth. And they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna literally means save now or save we beg. Hosanna, save now, or save we beg. A problem that that we sometimes as a people have is we don't want to talk when we are in trouble. If we want to be saved, we need to say something. They said this, to the, they said this to Jesus as he came in, but they'd also historically said it to other people that they thought were coming to save them. There was a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus who overthrew the Roman government for about a week. And when he came into Jerusalem, they yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna. But they were going to the wrong person that time. This time, they had gotten it right. Uh, we want to be saved. We need to say something. We can't say. We, uh, the, the, the phrase that I'm kind of getting tired of hearing from other people is, 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 is uh, save it for somebody else who needs it more. We as a people get too proud sometimes. And we would be the ones that need help. And if we need that help, we need to be able to say, Hosanna, save now. Save, we beg. I got sickness in my body. Save now, we beg. My parents ain't getting along. Save now, we beg. My children have not come home in several nights. Save now, we beg. I am battling with addiction. Save now, we beg. I need money to pay my bills. Save now, we beg. I I, I got some Bible for that. Isaiah 55 and 6 says the call on the Lord while he is near and seek him while he may be found. Uh, Matthew Matthew around 21 and 7 I believe says ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says uh, be anxious with nothing but in much prayer and supplication let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God who passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we need help we need to ask and not only do we need to ask we need to ask the one who can help us and so they let us know that this king is coming this this king of the Jews this king of Israel this king of righteousness this king of ages this king of heaven this king of glory this king of kings and lord of lords he's coming he's here You need to ask what you need of him. Open your mouth and say, save now, we beg. We cannot be too proud to beg our father for the things that we need. Ah. And so we enter and we go from this this acclamation and he enters the temple. Ah, we, we notice in, in 11, he says, he went into Jerusalem and looked into the temple. And so when he had looked at all things, the hour was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the 12. We often talk about how Jesus put people out the temple. Amen. 
and whipped the money changers and did all of these things and said that, you know, you, uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. But we overlooked that that wasn't the first time Jesus went into the temple. Now, there's a whole nother sermon there about how if Jesus can go to the temple on a regular basis. Why can't we? But I'm going to just say that in this situation, before we get to the people getting put out the temple, Jesus came first, made a visit and looked around and then left. There are opportunities we may miss. Because an angel unaware came in and looked around and saw what was going on. And because they didn't look the way we wanted them to look. They didn't dress the way we wanted them to be dressed. They didn't smell the way we wanted them to be smelled. They wasn't from the family that we wanted them to. They didn't have the right letters in front or behind their name. We missed an opportunity. The good news is they say that the worst, the, the, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. But the second best time is now. The opportunity is here. We just need to capitalize upon it. Jesus is on his way. We need to be able to open our mouths and say, save now, we beg. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook.